Hi, this is Victor Agreta, and this week on Coders, we're going to be looking at cross-platform development, but a lot of what Microsoft Build was about as well, so stay tuned. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Okay, guys, uh, this week on Coders is sort of an interesting thing. We were going to look at cross-platform development. We're still going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, I had a hard time tracking down somebody who's using something, and we'll get to that in just a minute to do cross-platform development. First, I want to talk about Satya Nadella opening up Build 2015 with BASIC. He talked about BASIC. He talked about their early days at Microsoft and how they were sort of platform agnostic. They actually built a BASIC compiler for a lot of different platforms. If you look at the slide, that, uh, that Satya actually put up. He described three areas that Microsoft was looking at, these platform opportunities that they're building. First was building the intelligent cloud. Second was reinventing productivity and business process. And third was creating more personal computing. Now, what I think about, that's interesting about this is that you really are partitioning these things into cloud, business, and personal. And if that sounds like the way that Microsoft's business has been going in the past few years, that's exactly right. You know, even before the cloud was a major component of its business, they created personal and professional tools for people, right? You had Windows and then you had the Windows Professional or Windows Enterprise. Um, this isn't necessarily a huge departure for Microsoft, but it is something that they are looking at in specifically with the platform. And this is something that Satya was trying to make a point about when he talked about BASIC. So early in the days of Microsoft, for those of you who remember it, uh, Microsoft made BASIC, right? And the cool thing about BASIC was that you could learn how to create code in BASIC, and then you could create that, recreate that code on other platforms. And we're talking about PDP machines. We're talking about some really old school stuff. But the problem that they had at the time was that code wasn't necessarily very portable. Uh, I actually learned to program using BASIC on an old Apple II. So <clears throat> this goes back to the absolute beginnings of Microsoft and creating Microsoft BASIC. Actually, one of my favorite things in the world is a cassette tape that is an AppleSoft BASIC instruction loader uh, for the Apple II that I still have sitting over here right next to me. So I have a fondness for BASIC in my heart, but I also have a fondness for what Microsoft's trying to do here. And I have to say that BASIC was a really big deal. You know, being able to write once and deploy code in a number of different platforms, that was a big thing. So when we talk about cross-platform, it's actually really written into Windows DNA or Microsoft's DNA. Windows, on the other hand, had became this huge platform. And of course, as someone like myself who grew up as kind of an Apple guy, we remember the fact that Microsoft kind of won the platform wars in some ways, especially in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, the dominant operating system was Microsoft. And then came the web. And the web really became the dominant platform. Now, just as we were preparing to go on the air, I actually looked on my feed and I saw that someone has a really good article that I want to read about how the web is becoming less important and the internet is still a big deal. Networking is still a big deal. Connectivity is still a big deal. So it's very interesting to me that Microsoft won briefly on the desktop in terms of operating systems. And if you look at the desktop as a platform, they absolutely killed it right there. But when the web came along and sort of democratized internet 
for a lot of people because people weren't going to use Gopher. They weren't going to use Archie. They weren't going to use all those old technologies, the BBSs and whatnot. I was on those, but your average person was not on those. They were on something like AOL, which abstracted a lot of the internet stuff that you had to deal with, right? You never thought about HTTP when you were going to AOL. You just typed in a keyword Oprah and you went to the Oprah area. So when we're talking about all these things, this is something that Microsoft has a really good handle on, first of all, in terms of cross-platform and understanding sort of deploying out to a lot of different things. They haven't necessarily had to play catch up in the cloud space because they've very early on, you know, they were building enterprise class tools and a lot of people were building websites and other internet access uh, tools using Microsoft tools. So that's not really it either. What we're talking about here to begin with is going to be the cloud. And one of the big things about this is, of course, Azure. You know, if you know the brand name Azure, then you know that Amazon needs to watch its back. Uh, web services are, of course, a, a big, big thing. And Microsoft is leaning into this in a big way. Right now, uh, they pointed out at Build that they have a full suite of developer services online. So code, which we'll look at here in just a little bit, uh, Studio 2015 for a complete IDE. They have online collaboration tools, of course, which they've had for a, a lot of time. Uh, you know, if you use SharePoint and other tools, they've had collaboration tools for quite a while. But now we're looking at things like load testing, bug tracking, crash analytics. And what's really cool about Azure and what they're deploying is that it's free up to five users. So you can get a taste of what's going on if you're a small team, especially if you're a small startup. And then as you want to scale up, Microsoft has some really cool technology for this. So let's look at the slide that actually shows this is uh, Microsoft Azure, and the slide before it actually at the presentation was showing that you had one little screen. So let's say you have one or two, you know, thousand users, and they're hitting it maybe mostly from mobile, right? This slide is showing that as those things grow, as the users grow, Microsoft Azure intelligently scales up to allow developers to not have to worry about the fact that more people, more devices are accessing their code, accessing their apps. And this is what's cool about Visual Studio is that they are going to integrate all of these things into Visual Studio so that you don't have to think about it so much. And this, of course, is one of the coolest things. Um, and it's something that telecoms, of course, are looking at. And a lot of network folks are looking at is the ability to say, we don't want our developers to have to worry about scaling. You know, that is something that we worried about a lot in previous years. And in fact, where I worked before, we worried very much about our CMS. And this was a, a AOL CMS, which was built on PHP. And we worried about scaling that up. Well, a lot of work for about three or four years wasn't in the consumer customer uh, facing features. That is the bloggers or the even the consumers who are reading the content. Those features kind of lagged behind the fact that they wanted to focus on the fact that we need to deploy this in a data center. It needs to be rock solid. So on an Apple keynote day or on a huge news day, it doesn't bring everything down. So scaling is very often a big deal. And, you know, if you're a startup and you're looking at something like we want to be the next Facebook, that's something to think about. Facebook itself actually rewrote PHP and created its own flavor because it had such scaling issues that it needed something that was far more efficient than it was actually out there. So when we say that Microsoft is looking to you know, provide the scaling through Azure, that is a, not a trivial thing, first of all. 
And second of all, it's a huge boon to developers because now really you can worry about features and not worry about the support. And in terms of support, what I mean by that is, of course, the infrastructure. Uh, Amazon Web Services is an absolutely fantastic service, but it's clear that Microsoft wants to use the web as the platform it's intended and give people those tools to be able to let them build whatever they de desire, test it, deploy it, and not sweat the you know the big stuff. Frankly, the, the those server aspects right there. So I think that is magnificent. It's going to be interesting to see how these things are deployed and how these things scale out. Uh, one other thing that I thought was cool, and they they mentioned this, and th this was something that happened earlier. Of course, it didn't happen at Build, but I do want to point out also that one of the things that they've done in, the, in just recently is open source uh, elements of core.net. And we've talked in the past about open source. We're going to have a whole ep a few more episodes about open source. But I want to point out that that's really important um, because giving back to the community and then opening those things up and allowing other people to come in and look at that, that's only going to make .NET stronger. And .NET already an incredibly powerful platform to begin with. Uh, but that also brings us to this other aspect. We're talking about cross-platform stuff. Uh, here's an, a neat thing. And this is something that actually we had theorized that Apple was going to enable at some point. But if you remember when the iPhone first launched, Steve Jobs actually came out and said, you know, we've got these applications on this, uh, this amazing device. And he was showing they were all Apple applications. People sometimes forget that there wasn't an app store to begin with. In fact, Jobs himself was not a huge fan, so the story goes, of having an open app store in terms of just people putting stuff on there. So what he said was, he said, okay, look, since we can't do that, we can't just let people do whatever the heck they want on our platform, here's what we're going to do. And he actually called it at the keynote where they talked about the iPhone, a sweet solution for developers. And that was you create a web app, you can create a shortcut, a home screen shortcut that actually turns into an icon on your iPhone. Now, here's my question to you, the, the viewers. How many of you actually still have a web shortcut on your iPhone's home screen, right? Or on any of the screens, in Springboard, in, in any on here, do you actually have a website? You know, we, we bookmark things, we, we put shortcuts on the desktop or whatever on our computers, that seems to make sense. But he was suggesting that this was actually like an application that people would be doing. Um, some people kind of did it. But what's interesting is that that was many years ago, right, when the iPhone first came out. And now uh, you can sort of do that with a number of other third-party tools and whatnot. You can, uh, you know, create web apps and then sort of redeploy them. And Adobe and other people have been working at some of these things. There are, there's a lot of potential with web apps. But one of the problems that you have with web apps, of course, is tying into the APIs of a specific platform. So Microsoft is working very hard to try to compartmentalize web apps, but at the same time, elevate them to a full app status. And in regards to that, with Windows 10, what they are talking about doing is allowing you to create .NET uh, and other web-based applications and actually turn those into applications that you can then sell on the Windows Store. Now, the way that they're going to protect consumers is that these are going to run in a sandbox. It's actually very similar to what Apple does because the App Store apps on Mac operating system also run in a sandbox. 
So the Windows 10 applications that are based on web apps will run in a sandbox. They won't have necessarily all the access to file systems that you would normally see, and they clean up very easily. That's one of the features of this is uninstall and install very easily, but you'll also be able to sell them. And they run in this sort of protected environment so that nothing squirrely can happen in theory. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But right now, what I actually want to look at is, speaking of web apps, I'm going to show you guys a little bit of what, the, uh, what Visual Studio Code looks like on a Mac. Now, I'm running on a Mac uh, for one of my primary computers, at least this is the portable streaming job that I use. And I was interested in Visual Studio. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what the promise of that is in just a second. But I just want to give you a little bit of a taste of this, because Visual Studio is not necessarily the end-all be-all. They were very quick to point out that Visual Studio itself actually uh, for Mac and for Linux is primarily gonna be used for things like JavaScript, Node.js, all built in um, to have IntelliSense support. And I think that's one of the coolest things. Now what you're seeing here is actually a folder that I opened up. And what's cool about this, over here on the left-hand side, you can come over here and you can like actually open up a folder. And I think one of the neatest things about the way that Microsoft has done this is that in my folder, this is actually my Angry Dad Gamer website folder, where I have my CSS and I have a bunch of style sheets. And you can see the style sheets over here on the right. Oops, there we go. Over here on the right. And all of these things. And you can see that there's some code formatting and whatnot. And here, if I go into my JavaScript, there's also some code formatting and whatnot. But one of the coolest things about this is the fact that uh, there is IntelliSense and code completion. So this format, and, I, and again, I just wanted to kind of give you guys an idea of like, you've got files over here on the left and you've got code over here on the right. The really cool thing about that is that you'll be able to put three panes of code over here on the right. And with IntelliSense, and I, I just can't stress how much if you haven't, played with Microsoft's tools before and you haven't experienced the joys of IntelliSense, it is one of those things where to, to turn a Steve Jobs phrase around, it's like a cool drink of water in hell. Uh, and Steve said that about iTunes on Windows many years ago. I got to tell you, I love Visual Studio Code right now. I've been playing around with it. And if you do a lot of JavaScript work, if you do TypeScript, uh, of course, if that's built in, that's Microsoft's, you know, sort of super language for for scripty for javascript it supports node.js there are a few other things and you can read microsoft documentation to see exactly what's supported now it supports html formatting it supports uh, a lot of the other syntaxes out there in terms of formatting and bracketing and and auto completion so some of those things but for full intellisense and the contextual support so there's a lot of debugging tools that are in here and again if you use node.js you are going to absolutely love this now if you're used to using Sublime or some other uh, you know, development tool, you're probably not gonna switch over to code anytime soon, but I, I will say that on the Mac, it's been a lot of fun to run a sort of a flavor of Visual Studio. And quite frankly, the darn thing works, works really, really well. So kudos to Microsoft on that because uh, it's an excellent tool. And I have to say that creating just HTML stuff in there was extremely easy. And I'm probably gonna be using that from now on instead of one of the other tools that I used, which was, uh, and don't tell my Apple friends about this, but I'm probably not gonna be using Text Wrangler anymore, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 
Text Wrangler anymore, which was a great, great application. But I like Visual Studio's look. It really reminds me of Sublime Text. So if you're a fan of Sublime Text, you'll feel very much at home. Interestingly enough, speaking of cross-platform type things, Microsoft itself actually created a TypeScript plugin for Sublime Text. So this is a company that is really serious about trying to be everywhere that they can. And to that regard, I want to talk about on the horizon, Windows 10 and porting apps. Now, this is something that was discussed at, at Build, but it was not deployed yet. You know, if you were to just kind of be halfway hearing what they were talking about, you might have thought that maybe they were saying, okay, well, with Visual Studio Code, you can go in and you can recompile and all these other things. Well, not exactly. But Microsoft does have a better solution than BlackBerry. You know, BlackBerry's solution to not having enough apps was to say, oh, well, you know what, the heck with it, just run an Android app. And they basically have an emulator that runs an Android app. Well, there's some problems with that, right? Notifications, system level alerts, uh, you know, other hooks into the operating system that actually are very useful when you are in an ecosystem, whether it be iOS or Android or Windows Phone. Um, and so what we're actually going to be looking for down the road, and this should be coming out later this year, but it hasn't really, the details haven't come out as much yet because a few developers have been working with these tools already. On the iOS side, and I'm reporting, this is uh, actually from Ars Technica, they were one of the few places to actually report some of the details about what Microsoft's going to be rolling out. So there were two things. First of all, uh, on Android is Project Astoria. Now, Project Astoria, again, the idea is that you would take your Android apps written in Java or C++, and you would be able to take them and recompile them, basically, and turn it into Windows. Uh, here's the only thing about that, of course. If you know Android development, there's a couple of different things, right? You've got Android Open Source Project, which is a mix of uh, GPL and BSD licensed stuff, and then you've got the Google mobile services. And that's really where the commercial stuff, that's where Google's putting most of its energy. It's, it's having a lot of uh, uh, closed source applications and APIs because you know Google's trying to compete with Apple and these other companies. So that's kind of where a lot of those things are going right now. And, and the really high end, the, the cutting edge features are gonna be rolled into that. So the question is, well, when I convert over to Windows, how do I access some of those tools? According to Microsoft, it's not going to be 100%. So it is one of those things where they are going to try to emulate or recreate many of the APIs that you might have used uh, on the Google side or on the Android side, but it's not going to be 100%. And it is one of those things where if you have a product that is inherently tied to a platform, it still is going to be very difficult for you to move it over. Uh, on iOS, it's pretty much a simple, uh, the same thing where you've got an Objective-C tool chain and a middleware layer that gives you this uh, operating system that people will expect, the APIs that it'll expect. Um, an interesting thing that they noted was that with using what they call Islandwood is the name of this project for iOS, uh, they said that um, King's Candy Crush Saga for Windows Phone, which is now pre-installed apparently on Windows Phone, um, is has been built that way. So they took their iOS code and they said with a few percent change in that code, they were actually able to turn that into a Windows Phone app. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, the, you know, the idea of creating software 
is to create these replicated patterns, right? And, and to create things that should operate in the same way, no matter what. Again, this goes back to the very beginnings of Microsoft. So they are sticking with what they know here. Um, Islandwood for iOS and Astoria, it's one of those things where they should come out in time for Windows 10 for people to be able to convert their applications over. You know, I don't know what it'll look like in terms of if you have a Mac OS app, for instance. Uh, there are a lot of questions around this. I think it will be interesting to see this. But I think one of the things that's important to take away from this is that mobile application developers who were previously, you know, saying, well, we're going to launch with iOS because that's a very highly engaged and a huge user base, uh, who were maybe looking at, you know, Android down the, down the line or, or Windows Phone even further down the line, now it's going to be a little bit easier for them to move these things over. So if you're creating applications that tie into networks, suddenly you're going to be adding to that uh, more and more users, and it's going to be very easy for you to add those users. But the question is going to be exactly how is the implementation handled and how does it handle features that are the cutting edge features of each one of those respective platforms. So it'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out. But this actually goes also back to the idea of having applications that work universally by making them web applications. So like I said, in Windows 10, web apps are going to be able to become uh, full-fledged applications, being able to uh, you know, deploy those. One of the neatest things, and this is something that I've been waiting for for a long time, years ago when Microsoft released the Xbox, they talked about XNA. And one of the promises of that was to be able to create a game that worked on a PC that you can then put on an Xbox. And with Xbox Live Arcade, you know, they, each little iteration, the 360 and now the One, we kept getting closer and closer and closer to that. Finally, it looks like with Windows 10, Microsoft is doing something that people had worried in some ways that Apple would do, which is create one operating system that sort of blended together across different hardware configurations. Microsoft is really pushing this. Apple kind of went the other way. They're saying iOS and macOS are always going to be separate and they're going to look differently and they're going to behave differently. Microsoft's kind of taken the opposite approach, which is that, look, you know, you can actually flip back to that old school if you want, but Windows 10 is the future and it scales conveniently from mobile to tablet to desktop, and even you can take your phone, plug it into a big monitor, and have it work. So, in wrapping up, my main point here is that uh, Microsoft is looking at bringing every single device it can into its platform in some way. And I think that for carriers and other network folks, the big thing is gonna be with Azure and their cloud services, tapping into that is going to actually increase the load in, in a lot of cases, right? Because if you want to build this app, you want to create something that people absolutely rush to go get. Well, with Azure on the Microsoft side, it's going to scale that up gracefully. That's the, that's the promise anyway, right? Um, Microsoft doesn't want to be a platform. It wants to be the platform. So you run everything through there. You can code with them. You can deploy with them. It's easy. And that scaling, not just a screen size scaling, but the data requirement scaling is all built into their systems. So this is like perhaps one of the most exciting builds that I've ever witnessed. And I'm really excited not only about Windows 10, but about the mobile aspects. And we will, of course, keep you up to date on what's happening with Island Home and uh, Astoria as they come out. And we're gonna find some developers who are actually going to port their stuff over. 
Couldn't find them this week because guess what? They don't really exist, or at least they're under an NDA right now, and they're not able to talk about what they're doing. But I do encourage you, if you're on Linux or if you're on a Mac, go ahead and download Visual Studio Code. It's completely free. It works fantastically. Uh, I will nitpick one thing. There are some keyboard commands that only work on Windows and Linux. I'm not sure what that's about, but I'll play around with it some more and figure out what's going on there. At any rate, I found Visual Studio Code to be extremely refreshing, and I found uh, Microsoft's announcements, and we haven't even talked about HoloLens because that's, that's part of their personal computing aspect and making computing more personal. You know, Xbox notifications. For iOS developers, guess what, guys? You're able to, once you port your app over to, uh, to Windows Phone, Game Center, forget about it. You can tie into Xbox achievements. How cool is that, right? But again, that's a network call, and that's something that Microsoft is going to have to kind of handhold iOS developers to show them, look, now you can tie into these things. You can tie into the system-wide notifications. You can tie into all the aspects that Windows is now offering. And frankly, Windows 10 is offering a whole heck of a lot. So in wrapping up, uh, everybody should go immediately to Microsoft and download code and start playing around with it and see if it will work for you. The other thing that I would recommend you do is check out and see what Azure has to offer and the uh, the pricing plans. You know, the, the free up to five people on a team to try this stuff out is just a really, really compelling buy for a lot of people, I think. So uh, give it a try. Microsoft has an excellent reputation in terms of scaling and enterprise level stuff, and they're kind of giving people the enterprise level experience as a small, small company, so you can grow very large very quickly. And let's frank it, let, let's let's face it, that's frankly what these tools are supposed to be about. Um, next week, I will be at the Aces conference in New Orleans. That's a it's a new conference. It's for consultants who help people actually make apps. So we'll be looking at sort of what development and the, the network and cloud and all these other things look like from a consultant's point of view. Are they giving people bad advice? Are they telling developers to do crazy things and to break stuff? We'll talk to a few of those consultants. We'll talk to a few developers from, uh, from the show next week. So this is Victor Agreta, and this has been an episode of Coders. Join us next time. Thanks for watching. Coders is a production of RCR TV News. To reach Victor Agreta Jr. or to suggest a show topic for coders, you can reach him on Twitter at SuperPixels. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com.